As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This is an Unspoiled Network podcast. This is Spoil Me, covering Dairy Girls, Season 3, Episode 7. In this episode, we say goodbye to the Dairy Girls and jump ahead a year, which is really unexpected, to the Good Friday vote. It's really quite moving, actually. Welcome to Spoil Me. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Natasha. Thank you very much to Ashley for commissioning this episode. Ashley is here in the chat. Yay. I know it's very late there, Ashley. Thank you for staying up. And Austin is also here. Um, this episode is 48 minutes, so it's longer than they usually are. And it is really worth the 48 minutes, I have to say. More than one time I stopped, I had forgotten that it was like longer because Ashley warned me when I was recording on the last episode, I think. Um, and there was a moment where I was like, wait, if it ends here, I don't know what I'm going to, like, how do, how is that? But it doesn't. They give it plenty of time to breathe. And I really appreciated that. Because they do a lot here. Um, first, with the time jump, which, like I said, I wasn't expecting at all. I think that it was a smart move, both because they wanted to include the vote and wrap the series on this note, which I think makes a lot of sense. Um, also, needing to adjust for Claire not being able to record with them with everything else. And I feel like they were able to handle that 
pretty well, you know, and even have a scene where it does seem like she's with them, but they were not filmed together. Um, and Ashley says, I thought killing off Claire's dad was to get her out of the way for a lot of this episode, but it's actually something that happened to Lisa McGee's friend. Is Lisa McGee the actress who played Claire? Um, the writer. Oh, okay. So the writer included it because it was genuinely something that happened. I thought it might be to get rid of Claire, but when I like was talking about it, I was like, I don't really know. There could be, there would be a lot of other more elegant ways to do that. I think so. It makes sense to me that that wasn't the reason actually. Um, although if you had told me it was, I would have accepted that, you know, but yeah, it's, uh, I think just having her move and it being because her mother can't stand to be in the same town anymore because it just reminds her of her father too much. That truly makes so much sense. You guys like, I just can't imagine living in the same place for so long with, I'm assuming that they were like high school sweethearts and getting married and then them dying really suddenly and trying to carry on in a place that you shared so much of your lives together and everybody knows you and knows you as part of this pair and probably will be asking about you or worried about you and kind of watching you. Like there is a sense for me of like a real oppressiveness when I think about going through a tragedy under the eyes of a lot of folks who are going to be probably making a lot of judgments, you know, it's a really weird thing with, uh, with death that we have very different reactions to it. And the way we grieve is really different. And what I might consider a totally appropriate way to react to certain things, somebody else might think like, wow, it sure doesn't seem like she misses him very much. And it starts to turn into this weird, like performative for the sake of other people believing that you actually cared about a person because they might not think you did if you don't, you know, buy the right groceries or watch the right TV shows or post the right things on Facebook. Um, and I speak from experience, you know, I have seen this kind of thing and also caught myself sort of judging people where I, like a friend of mine, um, on, she was an, a Facebook friend, unexpectedly passed away and her boyfriend was like living with her and they had been together like seven years. And the day after she died, he was posting like comedy videos and stuff in a way that I was like, immediately had this like, ew, dude, really? And then sort of had to stop and be like, Owen would definitely want me to still find joy in things and laugh. And it's my issue that I would feel weird posting comedy after his death because I would think others were judging me for it. You know, like that's kind of my baggage that I would be so worried about what other people think. And maybe I need to just like let this guy do his thing and maybe he's not grieving the way I want him to, but it has absolutely nothing to do with me. You know, um, Ashley says, 
My mom just took down all of our Christmas decorations because her aunt just died, and apparently it's inappropriate. Even though she's not immediate family, didn't live in this household, and we weren't particularly close. Yeah, see, perfect example. Because for me, genuinely, would would your aunt be like, I can't believe you left up your Christmas decorations? Like, it, that's always my question is like, who is that for? You know, and if it's if it's for anybody other than you or the person that you miss, it's not, it's not important. So it's just the sort of thing that, again, I can understand feeling like you want to get the hell out of the place that you, there's just something about certain there. I have lived places where if I returned, the memories would not be associated specifically with anyone. And then there are places that just become part of you, you know? And even though I lived in Philly for a pretty short time, I feel that way about Philly. And there is no way I go back there and don't think about Brendan with every turn I take. It's just not going to happen. Part of why I kind of wanted to move back so that I could replace those memories with newer ones with Owen. But anyway... I just, I appreciate the way that they decided to handle this since she couldn't be with the rest of the cast and having her move away and trying to like deal with her whole life getting uprooted, losing her father, starting at a new school with a new group of friends and also like juggling wanting to remain friends with the people that you left behind and how to continue having a friendship when the dynamic has totally changed. Um, so anyway, that's we, the opening of this episode is a montage of a bunch of moments throughout the series of our friends and things that they got up to together and like big moments. And then we cut to what each of them is doing that particular morning and we have Orla going to register to vote. Um, she's getting her ID and they they have to take a photo and she takes like a really peculiar photo. I love how much the dude she's speaking with when she's getting her information is just trying his best to roll with the weirdness of her. And he does his best. It's just so goofy. Um so she's doing that. We have Claire sort of psyching herself up to go into this school by herself, which I was genuinely like not realizing, and this is my fault, that this was a different school. I got to be honest, you guys. I, I, I should have figured it out, and I definitely wasn't picking up on it. Um, as... Orla is doing this. We're getting intercut with it. Some interviews of different people on television talking about whether to vote yes or no on something. And then Orla puts her headphones on and she begins this like happy trek down the street as she is dancing and winds up falling into like a group of young girls who are doing sort of river dancey stuff. And it's really out of tone with anything else that the show has done, but 
honestly, I had no problem with it whatsoever because it just felt like that's what it is like for Orla. Like if you told me every day Orla gets into a flash mob with a group of children, I would believe you. That just feels like something that she would do, you know? Um, Ashley says, I've seen analysis of this scene that it's Orla envisioning a post-Troubles dairy dancing along the street and feeling free to publicly express her Irish identity. Hence why the Irish dancers just pop out of nowhere and surround her and all know her routine, which is rudely interrupted when she runs into the British soldier. I like that interpretation. Okay, I can accept that. Uh, meanwhile, Michelle has gotten a job at the little convenience store. Apparently this dude is not working at the video store anymore. Um, and I really do enjoy her like screaming at this kid to fuck off. She's very much in the spirit of this sort of job already. It's great. Um, and again, Claire, like getting ready to go in. You guys, these are definitely different uniforms. Like I should have noticed. I did not notice. Uh, Orla's whole deal with dancing down the street too. Like this is very much a vibe that I used to carry and I sort of miss, you know, I am just not like listening to music that much anymore. And it's a really difficult thing once I have gotten out of it and just started listening to audiobooks and podcasts. It's really difficult to get myself back into listening to music because I'm older now and I have a hard time getting into new music and I have a really hard time returning to old music that makes me feel a lot of things that I'm not interested in feeling anymore. So it's kind of a no win. It's part of why I listen to classical so much. It's just, it's a very sort of neutral thing where it's like comforting and it doesn't demand much of me, if that makes sense. So watching her like dance down the street and I was recalling all of these like periods of my life where I would have headphones on and an entire dance routine going on in my head. I just suddenly felt very nostalgic for that. Uh, we go to James who is editing video footage and he is very zeroed in on Aaron and clearly like into it. We have Aaron who is at this bookstore and she's trying to read Hamlet and just getting more and more frustrated. And at one point she puts it down and picks up Shakespeare made simple. And then later on, when we come back to her, she is reading, uh, it's, she, we just hear her say that's beautiful. And then all of a sudden the camera drops down and she's reading like teen beat magazine. I am, very into this little like series of this feels honestly pretty true to how I would be as well. You try and read something that is important, you know, significant. And you're just like, I guess. And then you read something that's just about like the review of some TV show. And you're like, yeah, no, this is what's speaking to me. This is it. Um, anyway, so then we have her as Ashley mentioned, dancing and backing into basically a British officer and having this moment of like, I need to get past and how abruptly the music stops. She has to like take her headphones off and everything to speak to him. And it's kind of funny because when she says I need to get past, 
there's tons of room around him. She could just walk around him and he does like back out of the way, but he does so in a slow sort of, what's the word, a grudging sort of way, which feels accurate. And as she walks past him, she continues to try and sort of dance, does a little heel click, but it does feel like some of the spirit has gone out of her. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention here that Sister Michael is on her knees praying and I love that there's sort of offset a framed portrait of Jesus. But when the camera tilts, she is actually praying because she is watching a football game and really needs somebody to score. And it is just what I would expect of her. Um, so we find out here that one of the, the reforms in this vote that they are about to take is the release of paramilitary prisoners. And uh, it's a fascinating, like, question, because what it comes down to is how much are you willing to risk for this peace that you want? And it's extremely tricky. Like, if things have to get pretty bad, I think if people are going to be like, you know what? Yes, let's risk it. But also how much of what happened was like a justifiable retaliation against a complete oppression, you know? So it's just a real, like what winds up happening in this episode that's comes kind of out of left field and I'm I liked the way it was done but I was really surprised because there has been no hint of this in the series so far and then it gets sort of dropped here and I'm like I said I am fine with it I really do think that they pull it off but it turns out that Michelle has a brother who killed somebody and it was to do with the troubles and he killed someone in a way that it seems like there is absolutely no doubt whatsoever that he was responsible for that shit the man was a civilian evidently not somebody who was like involved with anything and he had a kid and overall the crime is just pretty horrific, but it's her brother and Michelle still cares about him and has very conflicted feelings over the fact that he went to jail and her mother won't even speak his name, won't let Michelle talk about him, wouldn't let her go visit him. And again, all of that feels very clearly to me like the show explaining why we've never heard about him before. So there's a part of me that side eyes it a little bit because it just feels like we know, we know this was never mentioned. Here's why. And they're retconning a bunch of stuff. At the same time, I, I just feel like even if it is this retcon, it works so well 
in the context of everything else that we have seen this group of friends going like dealing with, I just can't really hold that against it too much. You know, um, Ashley says it makes sense that this is why they have an extra room for James and also why Michelle was so afraid of losing James in the haunting episode. Also, if you do the math from when the parents left school, Niall has to be maximum a few years older than her. Yeah. And um, after watching this episode, I was really curious and I went and uh, read some stuff about the writing of this episode. And evidently the woman who wrote it was not intending to include anything like this initially. The whole thing with Michelle's brother was not part of her original script. And she got the idea and went to the producers and was basically like, here's an idea that I have for something that we could do with this episode. It is kind of dark and I'm not feeling super confident about it. So if you guys don't like it, I'm actually going to be fine with that. But they did like it. And so then she had to figure out how to like execute this idea elegantly. And personally, I think she pulled it off. Um, but it, it's like a very good microcosm look at the question of what does it mean to have peace? Because it's so easy to talk about. Can't we all just stop? being violent but the people who perpetuated the violence are still around they're still living in your communities and how do you cope with that how do you deal with like you know and i'm talking about this in terms of just in situations where people weren't arrested where this is a uh, an additional situation where you're talking about releasing people who have been arrested and convicted so the the question then becomes, do you want peace badly enough to risk having folks that you know have the capacity to be really violent out living amongst you as regular folks again? Can you get over it? Can you move on? And honestly, I don't know. Like, I think that the vote they made was the right call considering all the death that they had already experienced, you know, in the past like 30 years. But that is really the question, isn't it? Is like, where's the tipping point where it feels worth the risk? How much do you have to lose to begin with before you're willing to put it all on the line, on the off chance that it actually goes according to plan? And like, you know, it it did go according to plan in so much as like there haven't been major clashes, but there are still like some incidents that happen to this day. It's not completely under the bridge. So the fact that Aaron too is sort of reacting the way she is, like she is, it's understandable the way she's like, Michelle, he fucking killed somebody. And there are some pretty black and white, in my opinion, moral issues with killing a person. And Michelle being like, yeah, but he's my brother. And also, people can make mistakes, you know? And I know that it can feel really, like, dismissive to just act like taking a person's life was a mistake and write it off. But you're not 
writing it off inherently simply by acknowledging that it was a mistake. It's just a person admitting, I didn't get it. I didn't understand the gravity of what I was doing. I didn't think about what it would be like to live with the consequences of that and the kinds of consequences I was sentencing a lot of other people to live with as well. And I believed that what I was doing was worth it. And looking back, I don't think it was. There's growing that happens. And we can be very tempted when somebody does something terrible to freeze them in time and view them forever as somebody who did this awful thing. And like they have never changed since that moment. And people can change pretty profoundly from things like this, but you have to decide whether or not that is like enough, you know? And also it's it, like, it can be very difficult if it's a, across the board, everybody who did things like this is going to get out versus we're going to revisit case by case who we think deserves to get out. I can understand really feeling some reservations about that as well, because it's one thing to act like you're going to review things. And it's another thing to just say, oh, we're opening the doors and letting a bunch of folks free. And it's a mix of people who understand the gravity of their actions and people who don't regret it at all, perhaps, you know? Um, so let's see. Ashley says, uh, I do like what it adds to Michelle's character. Yeah. Same arrested. Didn't always mean convicted. A lot of Catholics were incarcerated without trial and suspicious of being in the RA. That's true. I was reading a little bit about this. Also, he was probably only like 17. So there's a potential for him to learn and change. And that's, that's a big part of it for me as well is like how young it seems like he was. And it's, we're seeing this in the United States. Unfortunately, it's so easy to get young men to do crazy shit. You know, it's like, it's an unfortunate reality that we choose young men to join the military because we know that they are going to be easy to manipulate. And that's the, the draw of having them be that young. It's like, yeah, sure. The physical fitness as well, no doubt. But like a lot of it is simply your brain hasn't quite developed to the point where you're going to get what you're doing. And so we're going to exploit that so that by the time your brain has caught up physically you will be either spent or injured or dead. And then you can just live with your actions haunting you for the rest of your life after you have really, you know, grown to the point where you can comprehend. Truly fucked. But I'm talking about really outside of like the military industrial complex, just the radicalization of a lot of young men over the past like 10 years in the United States with this like far right ideology. There are a lot of young men who have rage and anger issues because we don't teach men how to cope with that stuff and they need somewhere to direct it. And there are plenty of folks out there willing to give them a place to point it. And it is 
really alarming how little effort it takes and how predictable the like spiel can be and they still fall for it. So I, you know, it's the kind of thing that when I look at who I was only like, like 10 years ago, I don't feel like I bear almost any resemblance to that person anymore. And that's not to say I don't have some of the same like patterns of thinking and behavior in those fundamental ways. I'm probably the same, but my understanding and capacity to stop and think about things and question stuff that I hadn't before has really increased. And I like to think that probably a lot of people, if they're, you know, given the time to sit back and look at their lives, have some things that they're like, man, I cannot believe I did that. So anyway, the, the question that comes up, like it's in the, um, in the convenience store, I think. And Michelle is asked about her brother and she says something about not getting her hopes up. And Aaron kind of gives her a look. And then later when they're decorating for the birthday party, she confronts Aaron and is just like, what was that about? What did you look at me like that for? And Aaron says something like, you can't really think that he should get out, right? He killed somebody. And while I really get where Aaron stands in terms of like, just killing someone is wrong. She doesn't have a lot of compassion for the situation that Michelle finds herself in caring about someone who has been taken away from her and also does hold space for what the other family lost. She's not blind to the fact that her brother did something wrong and she's not defending his actions. It's not about that. It's about that she cares about him and wants him to come home. And it takes a little while before Aaron is really able to hear that because Aaron is a kind of a hardliner and Michelle calls her a spoiled brat. You know, I mean, Aaron hasn't gone through something like this. I can understand Michelle sort of feeling that way. You know, it's, it's a difficult thing to have experienced something really traumatic and your close friend who has no idea, who has never been through something like that to be extremely judgy about it, you know? And I like that later on, Michelle tells Aaron, you weren't wrong, but you also weren't right. I think that's a good summary, you know? But that fight leads to quite a rift for a little while. And this rift, it's like based around the, the, the issue with Michelle's brother, but the sort of like set dressing for it all is that both Orla and Aaron are going to be having their 18th birthday party that coming weekend. And Aaron's birthday was like three months earlier, but they didn't want to spend the money on two big 18th birthdays. So they combined the two of them. And Orla apparently had agreed to the theme of literary greats and then changed her mind and decided that she wanted the theme of monkeys. Now, I 
I have to say, Aaron, no offense, girl, but if you told me that you were theming your birthday party around literary greats, I don't feel like I would be too psyched. Like, what does that mean? You know, like, there's, there's things you can do. Don't get me wrong. Like that you can do a whole lot with the theme of like books and literature. I have seen people do cool stuff with weddings and whatnot. Um, Miles did a lot regarding wedding, regarding uh, books with his wedding. And I even had a listener who made this really beautiful bouquet for me out of pages from one of the Harry Potter books as mixed in with uh, colored paper. And she made these like this paper flower bouquet. And it was gorgeous. But um, truly, the concept of doing that for an 18th birthday, that doesn't hit for me. That's the kind of theme that you choose for like a tea party. Or even like if you're doing like a masquerade or I don't know, just something that's less about sheerly having a blast and more about a theme for like events that you're planning within it. Literary greats with a tea party, you could do all kinds of things, designing a menu after something from a certain book or each item that you bake being something from different novels or you know like whatever you could do the masquerade based on dressing up like these people but the birthday like what do you even do for that so as much as I definitely understand feeling like the theme of monkeys is more for a five-year-old's birthday and I it is literary greats just feels like Aaron wanted to pick something that felt sophisticated and adult for the sake of it. And she didn't really think through what it was going to really be like. And uh, they eventually just decided to like combine them instead of coming up with a new theme, which sure, why not? Um, But it doesn't wind up mattering because we find out that her mother didn't book the room in the school that she was supposed to. And she frames it to Aaron later that it was more cost efficient to share the space, but we know that's not actually how it went down. And this is so question, and I'm I'm interested in anybody's response, like in the chat or in comments after this episode goes up, how many people out there had a birthday where you rented a space or any party? You know, like this is also a first communion they wind up sharing with. Um, There's sweet 16s, there's uh, bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, and there's all kinds of like events where people will rent a hall, Knights of Columbus or whatever. I always wanted to throw a party like this and never got to, which is part of why I think I decided to go so hard with my wedding. And I have no regrets about that at all because my wedding was just about the most beautiful wedding I have ever seen anywhere. So frankly, hashtag worth it. And the fact that I managed to do it on the budget that I did is remarkable. But I am super jealous of anyone who got this kind of party as a teen because 
it's just something that was never possible for me. We just didn't have it in the budget. Even like a friend of mine had a big birthday at an aunt's house who, who offered to host and it wasn't her own home, but her father did pay for a DJ who came and like set up proper speakers and the aunt had a huge in-ground pool and a big like uh, barbecue area. So the party was still fucking sick because it was a pool party with like good music on proper speakers and it just felt fun. And I just remember my 16th birthday was such a letdown and it was like my parents decided to make it a surprise party and I know like now I think that I realize I'm so planning is such a fun part of these sorts of things to me that that's like part of what I want but they took the planning part away from me by making it be a surprise and I was so unaware that there was a surprise party happening that I didn't shower that day went with my mom to the mall on what I thought was an errand in like dirty jeans and an old t-shirt I did not have any makeup on and was asleep when she pulled into our driveway and was woken up by the car being surrounded by my friends. And as much as I get that they were trying to be sweet, it was like the exact opposite of how I would have wanted that to go. I would have, I would have wanted to plan it. I would have wanted to dress up. I would have wanted a whole thing and didn't get any of it. So I think that's like, I had to do something for my wedding, you know, but <laughs> when they wind up showing up for the party, they had the, like, week before, uh, Jenny, who is just always going to be throwing a wrench in the works, announces that she is going to be having a birthday party that weekend. And it's going to be Hollywood Glamour is the theme, which is a very good theme. And they are going to have a caricaturist. They are going to have, like, a, a tiny horse and hors d'oeuvres, champagne, 20 pound, uh, value gift bags. And there's something else that winds up. And of course, like a proper DJ, all of this stuff, which Aaron winds up being like, this is basically the Oscars. Like at first they're trying to act like people will still come to our party. It'll be great. But by the end of it, Aaron is just like, Oh my God, it's just, there's no way. But there is a band called The Commitments, and one of the musicians has gone solo and is The Commitment. And Michelle says that she has an in with this woman because she's friends with her uh, nephew and that she could get her to play Aaron's party after all. So... Aaron is super grateful because Michelle is offering to snog this guy to get the commitment to play for her birthday. But then they fight and there is an amazing scene. I loved how this was done. You guys of Claire on the phone on her hamburger phone and she is doing call waiting with Michelle and Aaron but she keeps fucking up and accidentally winding up on the other line and telling each other the things that they don't want to 
so it winds up sounding like Aaron said she doesn't want Michelle at her party. And then Michelle, it sounds like she said she doesn't want to come to Aaron's party and that she can shove it up her hole. <laughs> and so both of them think that the other has decided their friendship is like over, even though that's not really how it was. But evidently Michelle just decided to not cash in for Aaron. And so the commitment winds up at Jenny's party also. Um, Ashley is saying mean girls, but it's not even, it's not because the whole point in mean girls is that they're purposely being tricked into saying shit when someone else is on the other line. Claire is trying to not do that. The opposite of that. And she's just like the call waiting obviously doesn't either work quite right or her phone doesn't work quite right or her, her phone's oversensitive and she's hitting the buttons with her face when she's talking. Whatever it is, she's accidentally winding up and like back on each other's lines, which I'll say I've never had that happen personally. I'm sure it's a thing, but I've never experienced that. But the whole idea with Mean Girls of like the uh, sneak attack third third line, I have heard from a lot of people that they had that done to them or they did it to somebody else. I don't recall ever having that done to me or doing it to anyone. That's not something I've experienced. It's so, so mean. Like, I just, that is not forgivable. Um, So... Michelle and James, because James is going to side with his cousin, as he do, they go to Jenny's party. And Michelle is trying so hard to act like this is anything. Like she fits in. I just love when everybody says that they've never seen cool runnings and how immediately James is like, we have got to get out of here. I do not trust these people. And I wanted to ask too, and I'm feeling like maybe the problem itself is like the question itself is problematic, but there is a little girl for her first communion. Who's like counting her money. And I think she's a little person, but then we have another person who is like of really tiny stature at Jenny's party. And considering that we have never had people of like different statures like this on the show, Having both of them in the finale episode at different parties felt really weird. What was that about? Like, it's one thing if you are deciding you're going to throw people of different abilities and physicalities in throughout your show just for the representation of it. That's fine. But having them both appear in the same episode and it's the final episode of the series just seemed like a strange choice to make. Um, Ashley is saying the redheaded girl at the communion was also a 13 year old girl, a 13 year old little person. Oh, was she? Okay. I could like, she, I couldn't tell that there are certain facial markers that often go with it. And I definitely could see them in the black girl, but I didn't with the, with the redhead. Um, and the man, Tomas, as he likes to be called at Jenny's party, he is even smaller than a lot of little people. And he also looks like he, I think, is missing a hand. I think it looks like he had a birth defect on one arm, was born without a hand. Um, but it's like, 
you know, he's totally mobile. He's able to walk around just the same. He's just very, very short. And it just, it felt weird to me to have these two people, like I said, when there has been no effort at that kind of representation that I remember in any other episode of any other season to then suddenly have the two of them both dropped into the same episode at the very end of the show. I was just kind of like, I don't get what you're doing here, but it doesn't really matter. I just like kind of wanted to ask the question because I'm sort of wondering if there is something specific, but either way, uh, Michelle winds up like sort of going off by herself in at this party and clearly is not having a good time. Erin decides that she's going to come to the party and she did get an invite, but Jenny, like her name isn't on the list. Maybe she didn't RSVP. So when she comes to the gate and tries to get in, they make her wait. And Aaron interprets the wait as her being like turned away and decides to climb over the wall. And she climbs over and like fucks her whole suit up, which was such a shame because that suit was sharp. She looks awesome in that outfit. Like Aaron's fashion choices tend to be very ordinary and, and they don't catch my eye usually. But this was an outfit where I was like, honestly, that slaps that you could wear that today and it would still be very chic. Um, but she ruins her suit and then the girl comes back on the speaker and is like, sorry about the wait. I just had to ask Jenny, welcome and enjoy. Um, and she comes in and is just like, James, I can't believe that you would come to this party. And he's like, I'm in a really tough spot, girl. Like, this is my cousin. You know the deal. She was right about the loyalties and how that was going to have to go. And Aaron, he, she says, well, I'm sure she's having a great time. And he's like, I don't think so. And then we pretty much smash cut to them talking and making it up with each other. And uh, I really appreciated the frankness and the fact that they all are just like, you know what, let's blow this popsicle stand. Which leads to a lovely moment with Orla talking about how our birthday party was bullshit. So we went to this rad one. They had literally everything. And yet, I would still rather be out here standing at this wall with all of you guys than there. And I think they all feel exactly the same way. And that's part of why everybody is genuinely like moved by it. You know, I just love because like that is a really, that's a real feeling like looking around, realizing you're somewhere amazing and that there are people who mean so much to you that you'd rather not be here if it meant that you could be hanging out with them. And I just really enjoy that even though we kind of had this with, you know, the end of the last season and it seeming like James was going to move away and them all being really sad and then the group reunited. And so we're having a sort of another split and then everybody getting back together and admitting how much they appreciate each other. It still works for me because, you know, that's just a reliable narrative device. Um, and this is when we get the moment with Claire who's like yelling to them and she has, she basically like blackmailed Jenny and was like, I told her that the entire party was going to be in the dark unless they took the party to you. So 
everybody has decided to walk from there, including the commitment to the like room where the, the, the first communion was happening, which honestly, the first communion feels like it should have been over by then. It was a, uh, first communions, correct me if I'm wrong, but I have always seen those like taking place sort of like afternoon and by six o'clock you have wrapped up. And it's long dark, and they're still out here celebrating. I was just like, they're going kind of hard, but okay. Um, and I like the the whole energy of this moment, and them just enjoying this sort of last party. And there's, you know, it's not the last party, but there is a sense here of it being like a turning point for all of them. It was very poignant. The camera goes around and we see everybody dancing and the ways that they're interacting with each other, the ways that they're dancing. And there's this whole other subplot with this guy, Eamon, I think is how you say his name. And uh, his roof caved in and he's like the Mary's cousin or something. So he is staying at Aaron's house. And Jerry is like ready to tear his hair out because this dude is just very demanding and high maintenance and ruins things. And at one point says that there's a problem with like the bathroom door and he turns up with the the actual door and just leaves it. (laughs) I really do enjoy Sarah complimenting his legs and him walking around in shorts for the rest of the episode. The, The reliable thing with Sarah is that she is always zeroing in on somebody's like appearance in a particular way. And she's always complimentary. She always will be like obsessed about something that she likes, but it's always just so funny. Remember with uh, James's mom, it was her eyebrows. She just like would not stop with how amazing this woman's eyebrows are. Um, But anyway, this uh, subplot, we like wind up having Jerry trying to convince Colm to have Eamon move in with him and Colm saying that that guy was kind of boring. But we do get a pretty cute bit with them dancing and Eamon like rolling Colm's, uh, his pant legs up so that he can also kind of be wearing shorts while they dance, which was like super goofy and weird, but I thought it was pretty funny actually um ashley says i would feel really cheated if this had been my communion maybe it's different up north but down here after the church and photos all the families separate and have their own separate parties with family also 120 dollars. granted my communion would have been a few years later i think 2000 but the going rate then was about 500 obviously depends on the size of the family but myself and my sisters all made at least that on communion day this is my, I I never had a first communion um, because we were not Catholic and my cousin didn't have a first communion that I recall. She had a quinceanera though. And I know she made some good money on that. That was a big party too. That was like a wedding, you know? Um, but I, yeah, I, I can't speak to what was made at first communions down here because I had friends who had them. But I was never invited because they are always like they tend to be uh, family and church family kind of thing, not like school friends, especially if your school friends don't also go to catechism with you because the friends that I had who had first communions, they all went to the same catechism classes and they would go to each other's first communions just because they were part of the same church. Um, But 
Yeah, this did seem like a pretty janky First Communion to me to have like that it all be like a group thing. That is not how it was with the friends that I had. They all had their own separate things. But, uh, you know, what do I know? Um, Ashley says, yeah, do you remember the aunt that Aunt Mary got in an argument with last season and she had a heart attack and died? No, he's her son. Oh, right. There was that whole funeral episode. That's right. I forgot about that. That's why they mention her killing his mother. Okay. Thank you. Yes. I completely forgot about that. Um, so yeah, so that's like the wrap on that part of the like episode, the part that's like about the dairy girls specifically. And then we go to a sort of montage of everybody going in to vote about the peace agreement. And I found it really fascinating that there was a pamphlet with all of the details about the agreement that was sent out for everybody to study. Can you imagine if that was how it was in the United States? If they sent out booklets with the, like the details of things that were being voted on? I can't like, obviously there's just too much going on all the time for it to get that specific. And this was a very particular issue that was like being voted. So it makes a lot of sense that that was how they handled it. But I wish so much that this is how it would work for local laws because people just really underestimate, I think on the local level, how much happens and how much goes like under the radar. And then you find out what's been voted on later and you're like horrified. Um, and it's also really interesting to see how much people misread stuff. You know, I had a friend whose father was like on her comments section about something and sharing links to a uh, proposition and he was quoting parts of it, but coming up with like interpretations that I was like, that doesn't sound like what they're saying. And then when I went through and read the rest of it, I replied to him like, dude, that's the opposite of what's going on here. Right. And he got so nasty with me and I just kept replying and kept pointing it out and kept quoting. And finally he was like, Oh, okay. I guess I misunderstood it then, but still. And I was like, but still nothing. You were just wrong. It's like, you know, you just be carefuler when you read. Um, Ashley says, you don't get anything like that girl. No. Austin says, I think some states do that. California might. Don't recall ever hearing about that. I might be wrong. But Ashley says, we get ones for referendums, not for general elections, but definitely when it's on a specific issue. We get stuff like, you know, we'll get links to the bills shared in different places. But it's always in such a way that, like, I've seen it only on social media. I never saw it before that. And... In social media, it's always the sort of thing where I think people are like, oh, I'll read it later or I'll read a summary of it from somebody else. The idea of actually sitting down and reading the bill itself is just very daunting for a lot of people. And I think it's purposeful. They write things in such a way that it's difficult to pierce what the fuck they're saying because it's all made like impenetrable on purpose, you know? Um, but anyway... I just, I thought that was really interesting. And so we have all of these different people and the ways that they are voting, 
we have Liam Neeson even at one point, and he seems to be like really struggling on how to vote. And I think he votes yes, but I can't remember if we actually see his vote or not. Um, and there's a lot of, of like, it, it's just a really, oh yeah. So Austin says grandpa's speech had me in tears and the speech that he makes basically, because Aaron is like, there has been so much death and, you know, are we just going to like walk away from that? And like the people who did it are just going to be out free amongst us. And he says something like, but what if it works? And maybe this will just be some ghost story that you tell to the Waynes and they'll barely believe it. And that especially they'll barely believe it got to me because it really like it isn't that long ago that this stuff was happening to Aaron's parents and like Aaron has grown up with a lot of this going on but it feels like it was a lot more acute even when her parents were younger and that Aaron probably has difficulty really grasping what it was like then versus now. And I mean, bloody Sunday was when like 77, it's not late seventies. Right. And that's right around when we saw the flashback happening, I think. Um, and I was reading a, an article about it was a woman reviewing the dairy girls who had been oh 72 says ashley thank you and she had been uh i think like 14 when bloody sunday happened and was talking about some of her like early memories of walking to the shops to get like candy and passing by a man who had been shot dead in the street by the British military and like a friend of hers who was in school and she was younger. And one of her very first memories was a forensics team picking pieces of someone's brain off of the sunflowers in her schoolyard. And just like the, the sheer violence that they just lived around that was in their face all the time and they just had to like live like it was normal and it was normal to a degree um th then you have a passage of of 15 20 years and then there's a generation of folks who it is incomprehensible to them that's what it was like and this is the struggle with going through a trauma and wanting to make the world better so that your kids don't experience it is that you want better for your children. You want them to not experience those things. And yet the very fact that they didn't and they don't means that there is going to be a divide between you that can never really be overcome because they will never get it. They won't really understand the, the kinds of hardship you experienced and some of the entitlement that they may feel 
that you will be resentful of because you never had those expectations because you couldn't have those expectations. So you simultaneously are relieved that they immediately demand better for themselves and want more for themselves. And at the same time, there's an envy because you wish that your childhood could have been more like theirs and you didn't get that. And, you know, this is part of the thing I think that's going on when, when boomers get really like snarky about cancel culture or people who were woke and how you can't say anything anymore, safe spaces, snowflakes. And I think that it's a lot of people who have gone through traumas and they just lived through it. And they kind of resent the fact that now kids are putting their foot down and being like, no, we're not letting that be how it is anymore. And they're like, well, I just let it be how it was and lived with it. And I had to. And they are in not really stopping to think about the fact like, but if you could have not had that, wouldn't you rather have not had that? It's just a strange thing that you want to be able to connect and really understand each other. But the very things that would allow that to happen are what you're trying to prevent. It's so strange, you know, like. Ugh. Anyway, um, Austin says grandpas of an age, his parents or grandparents were around during the revolution too, which gives it more weight. Um, Ashley says, I felt like grandpa's comments about it being the kids futures, not him was very much targeted at older Brexiters. Mm, that's a good point. Um, so, oh, I'm sorry. There was a whole thing Ashley mentioned earlier that I missed, including Liam Neeson's character was interesting. One of the provisions of the GFA was the dissolution of the RUC due to their discrimination of Catholics and collusion with loyalist paramilitary organizations. They were replaced with the PSNI who had quotas of Catholics to recruit. So effectively he was voting to disband his own force. Although he's the only one who we didn't see that what way they voted. Yeah, I thought we didn't. Okay. And I think that's the right call to just be like, uh, we're just gonna, not say because who knows, but yeah, I was reading about the collusion with loyalists and the like double agents and passing along of like information. Like it, it was very fascinating. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, and also thinking back on like the scene where they're all arrested and the way that, Aaron decides to sort of get aggressive with questioning him um, made that a little bit more interesting as well. Made me sort of be like, maybe I want to go back and rewatch that scene. Um, so everybody votes and we have this beautiful moment of, uh, because I keep forgetting that Aaron has like a baby, baby sister. And we have this beautiful moment of Joe, like, walking out with her into the hall after everybody's finished voting. And they're both, like, hopping together and, like, just the, this silhouette of the old man holding the, like, very young child's hand after this moment. It just felt very beautiful and poignant. And uh, then we get the announcement that it was, like, a 72% vote in favor, which is just enormous that is amazing and i i really didn't know that it was that 
much of a landslide. Like that's a lot. And um, we have a man who is like announcing that his brother who was killed at Bloody Sunday was exonerated and proven not guilty. Because apparently there were like two separate investigations into Bloody Sunday. And there was one that obviously it's like the equivalent of the police here in the U.S. investigating themselves and being like, no wrongdoing found. And then there was one like I think two decades later or a decade later. And they were like, yeah, that was some bullshit. Um, a bunch of these like British soldiers tried to simultaneously say that they didn't like they didn't fire on anybody by mistake, but they also didn't fire on anybody on purpose and just absolute horseshit trying to talk about how people had bombs and none of that was found. A lot of just like d double talk and just very familiar to those of us who uh, are involved in like the social justice and with cops here in the United States. It's just, it's a playbook, you know, it's the same shit. Um, and Ashley says that clip of David Cameron that they use is a lot more recent than any of the others in the episode that apologies was issued in 2010. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually surprised when I read how recently that was that they included it in the episode. Um, None of the soldiers present were ever tried, including Soldier F, who personally shot four to six people, and it is confirmed that one of the dead teens was murdered by him. Most of the murdered were in their teens and early 20s and shot in the back or with their hands up or shot in the head while they were crouching on the ground or crawling for safety. A few were shot while trying to help another teen who was lying shot and injured. Um, that man is named Neil Young. His son, John, was 17 and was one of the people shot in the face while going to the aid of a 19-year-old who'd been shot in the chest. Ugh, Jesus Christ. This is the shit, like, it's just so, it's always been happening. I just can't get over how much, we just don't really change as people, do we, very much. Ugh. And, and like, for why? Genuinely. You know, like, ugh. and from what I had been reading too, the, uh, the arrival of like the British soldiers, uh, like initially, even some Catholics were like, well, all right, the cops are corrupt, but at least the military is like unbiased and they'll be sort of a mitigating factor. And then Bloody Sunday happened and they were like, oh, really? And that pretty much pushed a lot of people who were Catholic and still sort of on the side of maybe we can make things work. And they were just like, oh, oh, no, fuck all y'all. And just, you know, like, it doesn't have to be this way. Ugh. But um, it really like knowing about how that all went down and the the extent of how left everything went right after that, especially makes it so much more understandable why a lot of people would be having some misgivings about this vote and what is the safest and smartest way forward. Um, Ashley says a lot of the CIA tactics against the black Panthers was based against things that the English did in Northern Ireland. And I think Uganda. So it makes sense why there would be parallels in how law enforcement acts regardless of the country. Yeah. The, the black Panthers don't get me started. That was some, 
the the way that smear campaign remains successful to this day and the black panthers are still seen by a lot of folks as a terrorist organization is remarkable it is mind-blowing how well that worked and it makes me so angry still um but but the episode just like it ends on this really like sweet optimistic note with you know all of them finishing their vote walking out together i love that orla of course she draws a happy face as she's uh casting her vote instead of the x that everybody else did and then we jump to present day and it's chelsea clinton you know getting this like letter that got redirected from somewhere and she's reading the letter that they sent when her father was visiting ireland where they offered to like keep her company and show her around and it's actual chelsea clinton in the episode and how strange what a weird way to end it i have no problem with it but it did feel weird because it's such an irish centric show to then have it end in the u.s with chelsea clinton and i was like okay i mean sure um and i do appreciate how they it ends with we think your hair is really cracker um i especially considering how often chelsea clinton was mocked for her appearance i don't know how many people remember that but as a little girl i remember how awful it was to listen to the way she was talked about she you know she has like she had bushy hair she had uh teeth that needed braces and like kind of big bug eyes and she was a fucking literal child and people were just really dunking on her and it was super gross. So there was a part of me that kind of appreciated it being the, the last thing being a compliment on her appearance. Um, so let's see. In the, I thought that she spoiled her vote and she might have, but apparently I thought she might either uh, or also. But apparently in the UK, one guy's vote was counted as he marked everyone on the ballot as dick and then one marked one guy not a dick. It was seen as showing his preference. I love that. Why not? <laughs> but yeah, it did occur to me. I was like, is that going to be acceptable? But I think probably it was. Um, so I'm way over time, but I just wanted to make sure to give this episode the the attention it deserved, especially it was an extra long one. So um thank you guys so so much for listening thank you again ashley for commissioning this whole series what a treat and i just appreciate y'all and i hope to see you again toodaloo motherfuckers
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.